Did you know that back in the 1500s when Luther was a pastor, they actually didn't have pews in the churches and people just stood the whole time? So I could have kept you standing, but today we have chairs in church, so that's probably better. Um, welcome to part two of uh, Broken. And uh, last week, we kind of just set the stage for the entire series by talking about a boxing match that goes on inside of each one of us, even in faith, even as a Christian, we still have a sinful nature in us that wants to get us to do that which we don't want to do. And then our, our new part, our sainthood, fights up against that. And it really lays the foundation for why there's brokenness in the world and that there's brokenness in us. If you missed that message and would like to catch up, you're, feel free to watch or listen to it online. Today, though, we're going to get started or continue with one issue that happens to be very prevalent in our country and culture that seems to be contributing to brokenness. And I have a little bit of an introduction for it first. Um, when I was in high school, uh, we had a rivalry, a pretty intense rivalry with another high school about 10 miles away. Now, this is very different where I lived because there are no high school rivalries in Lakeville or Farmington, right? This is just very isolated to where I grew up. So I, I'm thinking most of you can you know, relate to a high school rivalry. And whenever we met this team on the field or on the court, there was always a little bit of extra tension and extra emotion by the players, but you'd wish it would just stop there, by the faculty and by parents. You've never seen emotional parents around here, have you? You're not one, are you? Yeah, right. I, I, I know we have emotional parents around here as well. And, and so what would happen is that there would be extra chippiness on the court and more fans in the stands because everyone loves a rivalry. And there were things that happened in this rivalry that I can talk about and things that I would probably shouldn't talk about, you know, type of thing. But a couple of the, the more lighthearted things that kind of give you a flavor for just maybe the, the fun in the midst of the rivalry, um, that high school at the time, their mascot was the Hornet. And so more than once did all of our fans bring fly swatters to the game and then had some chant that had something to do with swatting a hornet or something like that. Um, now they were especially cruel to us, honestly. Um, our fight song ended um, for dear old Lakeside, 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 you will, you will. And they would change the lyrics and kind of yell them so loudly that everyone could hear them. And I debated as to whether to say the word or not. It's not really a bad word. I just don't use it in sermons very often, so I'm going to change it. They say, for Lakeside, 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 you stink, you stink, uh, kind of, uh, is what they would say. So, um, you know, there's stuff like that going on, even though we're only 10 miles away and you would never date someone from that school. They would never date someone from your school type of thing. And what happened is that we ended up putting anyone from that school into a category, so to speak. And they put everyone who went to my school into a box. And certainly, um, you know, Maybe it didn't apply to everyone, but there's these generalizations. So for our purposes today, I brought these two people. Um, anyone recognize uh, where these come from, except a little bit bigger? Okay, so only someone who's over 30 would recognize this because we don't believe in board games anymore. You know, it's just video games. But if you're over 30, you've heard of Candyland, and these are Candyland figurines. Anyway, my school, we had blue colors, and they had black and gold at the time. So if you're from 
the other school, we just thought of you in this category, that you were pampered, you know, you, you thought more highly of yourself than you should, you had a chip on your shoulder that was unearned and undeserved. So anybody and everybody from that school just kind of went into that box. And I'm not exactly sure how they viewed us, but I, I would say probably like second class, you know, wannabes, so to speak, maybe something like that, not from the glory school or something. And so everyone from our school was kind of put into that box. Now, here's the funny thing. <laughs> Both of these schools were Christian schools. Not only that, they both happen to be from the same church body that Bethlehem's from, called the Wells. And yet, we had a hard time getting along, and the reason wasn't that there wasn't good people in both of the schools. The reason was we put people into boxes. And so here's my, my first fill-in for the day. Maybe not the most profound thing I've ever said, but it's uh, true. When people are put into boxes, it's hard to see them. When you just take a person, say, okay, they go to that school, or they are a part of that group, or they look that way, and then you just think the same thing about all those people, whether consciously or unconsciously, the problem is you've put them in a box, and you can't see them anymore. You only see the box. Now, we have relational tension in our society world and country, and I think it has a lot to do with that. Because we so easily put people into boxes and we don't see them anymore. So there's racial tension in our country. And so if you're an African-American, this, it, it runs deep, and, and you, you maybe feel like if you ever get pulled over by a policeman that you're going to be maybe in an unsafe environment and, and you're untrusting. And then if you're a policeman or woman or law enforcement, there, there are thoughts that this, this uh, traffic stop might be my last traffic stop, right? There's those, there's those thoughts. And then we've had a lot of debate and discussion over the last year, which has led to people sort of uh, making your commute to work difficult. Um, we, we've had uh, professional athletes not want to stand for the national anthem. And we've had uh, law enforcement decide not to work a certain event or a uh, a certain venue because of the circumstances around it. So there's, there's racial tension that we find ourselves putting people in the boxes. Um, there, there's also relational tension when it comes to politics. Now, just in case you're not sure about this tension, um, I'm not going to have any commentary. I'm just going to put a few words on the screen and read them, and I'm almost guaranteeing that for some of you, your blood pressure will rise, okay? So I'm a, no commentary, just words. Here they are. Immigration, refugees, because I'm not sure you can read or not, so I'm just going to read them. <laughs> Travel ban, vetting. I didn't even really ever use vetting before the last, you know, six months or four months. Extreme vetting, didn't know that was a thing. Healthcare, Obamacare, who cares? Oh, that's a different care. Marriage equality, fake news, Republican, Democrat. <laughs> you all need some chamomile tea at this point going to calm the nerves a little bit. In case you're not riled up yet, I have one more box or two. Vikings, Packers. All right, we need, we need some laughter, right, Mark? Yeah. But we put people into these, into lots of boxes, and there's, there's lots of things contributing to relational tension that contribute to these boxes, okay? 
And so here's, here's what happens. Here's, here's the boxes that we put people in. Um, let's just take Republican and Democrat as an example. Um, there's this box that Republicans uh, are in. If, if you are a Republican and voted for Donald Trump, then here's your box. You are likely a racist and you don't care about people. You don't love people. Okay. And then people put the Democratic pe- Democrats into a box, and here's their box. If, if you vote Democratic, well, then you don't really care much about America or the protection of America, and um, you don't have biblical morality as a, as a goal of yours. Um, here's, here's, a, here's a comment to that. Um, I know some Republicans, and I know some that um, are not racist and and care about people. So that box doesn't work for everybody. And I know some Democrats, and I know some Democrats that absolutely respect biblical authority and morality and care deeply about the protection of our country. Hmm. So that doesn't work so well. But you see, when, you, when we put, when, when we do the easy thing, when we do the quick thing, when we do the easy thing and just quick check it off our list and, and pretend like we know somebody because of the box we put them in, it doesn't work because all you see is the box and you no longer see people. Jesus had an entirely different way to look at things, and he not only has a solution, he was the solution. And in part two of Broken, we're, we're going to dig down into how did he handle these types of things? And, and honestly, we're going to see our story in it too. Before we get into the word, though, uh, two quick disclaimers. The first disclaimer is this, that as much as you want to analyze, uh, maybe through my message, what side of the fence I'm on, there is no, nothing I'm saying today has any side of any fence. In fact, if I do my job right and share God's word with you the way that it was meant to be shared, what's going to happen is is we're not going to see one person's right and one person's wrong. We're going to see that we're all wrong (laughs) in the way that I want to talk about today, (laughs) okay? The second thing is I want to be really clear that while we talk about our our topic and God's solution, that, that not one ounce of me is downplaying sin, Okay, because we, if you're a Christian, we always have to draw lines at where God draws lines. But when it becomes a national thing, when it becomes a country thing, it becomes a little more complicated because people are complicated. And so are issues, right? So with that, those two disclaimers, um, we're going to look at a section of the, the biography of Jesus written by one of his disciples named Matthew. And it's kind of right smack dab in the middle of Jesus' three-year ministry, and this this kind of event and conversation happens. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, and he taught in their synagogues. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom that is, at the end of the day, the the crux of that is, I am your Savior. I have come to bring forgiveness. And he healed every disease and sickness. I just, I love the activity of Jesus. He was with people. He was about people. He cared for people, didn't he? Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And he gave this sort of um, comparison. They were kind of like sheep without a shepherd. Let let me dig down on this a little bit. They were harassed and helpless. We're going to be looking at three Greek words today really quickly. The first one is harassed. That word in the Greek 
at the sort of center of it is the idea of being cut. You're bleeding. Okay, that, that's kind of the idea, the, the imagery be, behind harassed. Here, Jesus saw people, not groups. He saw people, and what he saw was not just people who sinned, not just people who maybe were off you know, track a little bit. He saw people who, by the religious leaders of the day, they had been cut to the heart. Here's why. Because the, the religious system of the day had devolved into sharing all the things you did wrong and making more laws so that you feel bad about yourself and yet never adequately applying the balm of forgiveness. And so they were cut by the law. They were bleeding and yet never bandaged. Jesus saw this. He said, I see people who are harassed. The other thing he calls them is helpless. Um, this is the imagery behind this word is kind of to be cast aside. That was going on all over the place. Imagine if you got the impression because of a disability that you had or the color of your skin or, or because some sin in the past that your pastor and church did not care about you. You probably wouldn't be a part of that church. This was happening at the time of Jesus. That if you had too big of a sin in your past or if you weren't the right social economic group, that the religious leaders of the day would cast you aside. Jesus saw not boxes. He saw people, and he saw people who were harassed and helpless. Now, just quick commentary before we go on. 2,000 years later, I think that culturally our issues are somewhat different, maybe. But if you consider our culture and how easy our culture makes it for people to understand grace and the love of God, law and gospel, truth and grace, I would say it is just as hard now for people to get it as it was then. And we could rightly look at our culture, and instead of seeing boxes, we see people and see people that are harassed and helpless. It's tough. It's hard. So what did, what did Jesus do? It's found right in this verse. He had compassion on them. He saw them, and he didn't just quickly move on or write them off. He had compassion. Um, the Greek word here, I actually have it on the screen for this one, is splachnon. Now, the cool thing is, I can say this however I want, and you wouldn't know the difference. So, you know, it's kind of cool. And I get to kind of make myself feel good by uh, saying some Greek. But it truly is splachnon. And what this word means, it's translated compassion in that verse. But at its root in the Greek, this word is intestine. What? Weird. Okay, so in the Greek language, oftentimes they would use bodily parts to help to uh, describe emotional feelings. The verb of splachnon would probably most literally be translated, so you got intestine, the verb would be indigestion. So if you've ever had indigestion, it's usually not very comfortable. If you've ever had indigestion, it probably makes you move around, at least in your chair, and if not, to walk it off, all right? Okay, enough said. This word at its root, compassion, means that there is a feeling of pity or compassion, but it's not just a feeling. 
It requires movement. It's a feeling of pity that requires people to move, to make travel plans, theme of our sermon today. And for Jesus, his compassion, his splachnon, led him not to walk away from people, but to walk towards people and even messy people and messy situations and people that didn't always agree with him. Never once dumbing down the truth, but always realizing that they needed his forgiveness. They needed what he had. I want to give you some examples of this, and then we're going to look at how does Jesus apply it to us. So one example where this very same word splachnon comes into play um, is in in the book of Matthew. Uh, Before that, let's do our next fill in the blank, that compassion causes a person to make travel plans. And that's just the feeling like, oh, I feel bad for those people. Or I feel bad for that situation. It's like, I feel bad, but I'm going to do something about it. It moves you. It makes you make travel plans. So in in the book of Matthew, Jesus uh, is um, just found out that his friend and cousin John the Baptist has died. And if any of you know how he died, um, you know it was pretty brutal. He was beheaded. And so if you just heard that your best friend and cousin got murdered, uh, it might take you some time to regroup. Jesus was true man. He needed to regroup. And so he decided to go off by himself. He started on a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee so that he could be kind of by himself. But here's what happened. When he got there, Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus landed, there was a large crowd there. Not by accident, they wanted his attention. Now, what I would have probably done, guys, my cousin just died, come back tomorrow. And there would have been nothing wrong with that. It wouldn't have been a sin. But what Jesus did is he had splachnon. And in the midst of his sorrow and grieving, he spent the entire day with them and healed their sick. There's another occasion, a chapter later, where people have been hanging out with Jesus for about three days, it says, and they've been just kind of enjoying their time with him and hearing him preach. And Jesus recognized that they were probably hungry. And what I would have done is probably, hey, guys, why don't you go get something to eat? Jesus instead has splachnon, Matthew chapter 15. I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And he moves towards them and he gives them a meal. Over 4,000 people did a miracle. A little bit of fish, a little bit of bread, everyone's fed. Why? Splachnon, compassion that moves you. There were outcasts in the society of that time. We've had sermons about this before, whether you're a tax collector who everyone hated or a prostitute who had a difficult uh, uh, sort of past. And Jesus, again, would never condone their sin, but he would always have time for everybody who needed forgiveness, and we all do. There was racial division in that time, and we looked at this a couple months ago, and 
Whereas almost every Jew uh, just hated Samaritans, Jesus uh, went, had to go from Israel or Jerusalem to Galilee, and Samaria was in between. And most Jews would go around Samaria because of the, the racial divide. Instead, Jesus goes right through Samaria, stops in the middle, spends some time with a Samaritan woman who had a colored and checkered past. Why would he do this when no one else would? Because of Splachnon his compassion, his, his sorrow, his love that moved him towards people. But, you know, right now I'm just talking about things that happen that maybe don't connect with you as much. But the greatest block non of Jesus includes you and includes me. His greatest travel plan was when he saw the world, including me, and saw my sin and my inability to, to, to love people the way I should and my, uh, my, my penchant for putting people into boxes. And, and he decided, I'm going to come to this earth and die for those people. And he went from the glories of heaven to the sin of this earth, and he lived a perfect life in my place. And then this is his life near the end. In the book of Mark, it records that this is about a month before he would die, that Jesus tells the disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And his disciples are like, really, Jesus? Do you see how much commotion is around you right now? Do you see how dangerous it would be to go to Jerusalem? Jesus is like, we're going to Jerusalem. And Mark records that he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Why? Why did he go into the hornet's nest? Because of Splachnon. It was a love that required movement. And it was there that he died for us. Love that showed itself in movement to us from heaven and towards the cross in our place. I was listening to a podcast this last week and the pastor shared some splachnon going on right on the cross. He didn't say it in those terms. Probably didn't know Greek like I know Greek. And, um, <laughs> he mentioned how while even on the cross, in the midst of physical, emotional, and spiritual pain, Jesus is all about other people. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that, how he's moving towards people, even on the cross? He uh, he tells the, the people, at least prays it to, the, to his heavenly Father that have, been, that have killed him, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He, he's caring, even on the cross. Um, he, uh, he, to the thief that asked Jesus to remember him, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. To his mom who was standing in front of him, he says, here is your new son. And John, here is your new mother. And even on the cross, when everyone would have understood that it would be all about him, it was all about us. We have an amazing love of an amazing Savior who has changed our lives and given us the sure hope of heaven. So where now does that leave us in response as we consider not only our lives as Christians but also our cultural climate right now? Well, let's go back to our verses because Jesus has some direction for us. So then he said to his disciples, I have shown compassion towards you. Now go out and do the opposite. Be angry and judgmental. Put people into boxes. Next, next slide. Take what they say in the worst possible way. If you don't agree with them, 
then right away think badly of them and, and also think that you know everything of why they think the way they do. Just write them off, or if you must, just post something on Facebook because it's easier than a face-to-face. <laughs> now, if Jesus would have said that, at least he would have had something in common with much of our society. That's Matthew 9, 37 to 38, kind of. Like the first few words, here's what it really says. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What he's saying is, I I look at the world and I see all these people who are harassed and helpless. It is a ripe harvest for people who need to know Jesus and to be collected into God's family. So then, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, in this verse, I see a couple things. I, I see a great encouragement for young people and middle-aged people and even old people to consider being a pastor or a teacher. Um, not all of it is awesome. There's hard days. There's difficult days in either of those ministries. But we need pastors and teachers who full-time go out and go towards people with the love of Jesus. But it, if we just stop there, I don't think we'd be truly understanding that we're all included in here. You pray, Lord, send out people to go share the love of Jesus with others, and then God answers, okay, go. You're the answer to your prayer. Bankers and public school teachers and lawyers, and doctors, and construction workers, and stay-at-home moms, and all of us. Jesus had compassion. He came to this earth. He saved us and gave us his love. And he says, now you go. You go. You share it with your words and your actions. You need to be sharers, but you also need to be wearers. Because if you only say God loves you, but you don't love How's that going to translate? There is no plan B. We're it. And interestingly, as we consider a life of love, uh, I think of this event towards the end of Jesus' life, the night before he died. And besides the cross, this was probably the most selfless, outwardly selfless thing that Jesus did. He, uh, in the upper room, as they were eating, before they ate, he washed everyone's feet. Many of you have have heard that event. And this was kind of the, the thing that only the lowliest servant or slave would do. And after he was done with that sort of children's message object lesson, here's what Jesus says. He says, love one another, guys. As I've loved you, so now you must go and love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you go to church every Sunday. If you give offerings to the church, if you're really good at Bible trivia, if you love, if you love. Disclaimer, love doesn't mean that you always say everything that people want to hear. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to say something that they need to hear. But here's how you know if, at least partly, if you're loving in the midst of it. When you can say something to someone that they don't want to hear, and they may not even like, 
but they know you enough to know that you still love them in spite of it and that you're saying it because you love them. Now you've got something. That's where we need to be. I have plenty of occasions in my ministry where I've had to say something to someone that um, they maybe didn't want to hear. But almost every single time I start with something like this, I don't always get things right either. You know I love you. And they're like, yeah, why? Not because I'm great, but because I love them. And there was some work to be done in showing love before I hammered them with a message. (laughs) That doesn't make God's word more effective. It's just what we've been called to do, to love. So what does this life of love look for us in 21st century America? Here's your takeaway. Last fill-in. Compassion is all about your view and your do. Not hairdo, although, you know, that's nice too. But this doesn't make grammatical sense, but it's hopefully memorable. It's about your view and your do. To get really applicable today, we need to start... First of all, seeing people and not boxes, okay? And then when you see people, you need to see what God does. When God sees us, he first of all sees someone he's created, and then he sees someone whom his son died for. Everybody's sins have been paid for. God wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If we could look at every single person, even those we do not agree with at all, as blood-bought children of God who need to know Jesus, who need faith in order to be saved, well, that might change some things. And then you're due. It cannot be enough for us to feel love, my friends. Otherwise, we'll have you know, this, this feeling of love and not go out into the harvest field. We need splagnon, just like our Savior showed to us, a love that translates into action. Maybe something like Keisha Thomas. So in 1996, there was a uh, Ku Klux Klan uh, rally or whatever at, uh, Ann Arbor, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And there was also a group, a large group, protesting the rally. And law enforcement knew this could be a dangerous situation, so they set up a barricade between the two groups. Well, a guy from one of the groups somehow ended up across the barricade in the other side. And when those over here found that out, a bunch of people mobbed him, went around him, and started started beating him, started hurting him. There was an 18-year-old named Keisha Thomas in the crowd, And as she saw this going on, she jumped on the guy. There was a picture taken of it. It's here on the screen. It was one of Life Magazine's 1996 best pictures of the year or whatever. But this 18-year-old saw something, did not just feel compassion or feel love or feel pity. She saw and she did. And people around her could hear her saying something about, you can't beat goodness into somebody. Stop. (laughs) Here's my simple question for you. And then you're going to have to apply. What does compassion mean for you in this society, in this culture, in this time? 
Does it mean more conversation with someone before you judge? Does it mean more prayers? Does it mean time with them before you share a message of right or wrong? I don't know what it exactly means for you and your situation, but I do know what God has called us to. And I do know that God has healed my brokenness and his love can also heal the brokenness in our country. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your compassion, which led you to come to this earth to make travel plans to save me and the world. Lord, may I be reflectors of that love and grace in the way that I act and in the way I live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time, our ushers will be gathering our thank offerings as we have a chance to give back to our Lord God who showed compassion to us. Uh, during our offering, uh, I also would encourage you to take out one of the Black Connection books on either end of the row. If you could just sign that, make sure that everyone in the row has a chance as well. Um, that would be uh, very much appreciated by us. Um, also, as the offering is uh, taken, just a couple of quick announcements um, also. Um, first of all, uh, we have Easter coming up, and there is an opportunity for you in two ways to be a blessing to people. Um, one would be to invite people to come with you to Easter. There will be four services, one on Saturday and then three on Sunday. I think those times are in your service folder. Otherwise, they're 739 and 1030. And then also, fellas, if you're willing to give an hour or two to help with our Easter breakfast, there's a sign-up for that to the right of the Welcome Center. And this week, there should also be one that will be posted online if you'd rather do it electronically. We'll, we'll let you know. The other thing is I, I want to let you know that we had our first meeting of our community impact team. We're, we're looking to do exactly what we talked about today in part and to share uh, the love of Christ in our actions along with our words, with our community. And we had a really good meeting, and within the next month or two, uh, there will probably be an event uh, for us that we can all participate and be a part of, uh, the, uh, of being a blessing to our community. Um, in just a moment, we'll be uh, having communion, so if you could just take a moment right now in silent prayer. Our Lord Jesus, um, on the night that he was betrayed, the same night that he, he washed feet, he took bread during the middle of the Passover meal, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, later in that meal, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant shed for you given for your sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, may the peace of God be with you always. Amen. And at this time, I would joyfully invite all confirmed members of Bethlehem and other churches in our fellowship to come forward to receive the, the blessings of this meal. If you are a guest with us this morning and have questions about our, our communion practice or process, we'd love to talk with you about that after the service. Wait for the usher's direction. Come, for all has been made ready.
having been refreshed both by the word and also by this meal. Now, go in peace. Live in harmony 
with each other. And then remember, we're there to serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace.